uh, <coughs> arrived at the ending of another day together on our retreat. And now is just a few more days to go. So if it felt at one stage it was never going to end, then it's actually approaching nearer that point in time, believe it or not. And uh, we can begin to reflect on our relationship uh, to the sense of an approaching end to this experience together. It's not the end yet, so we've still got some time to go, but still uh, we can reflect on how that sense of time, future, impinges upon our sense of being here now. There was a a question about rebirth that came up, karma, rebirth, self, non-self. Another one of these very simple questions. (laughs) (laughs) But we can begin to... (laughs) We can begin to have a sense of rebirth now and we, we start to sense the ending of a formation, the formation of the retreat. We can begin to already be, begin to sense where the mind is heading, where it's moving, which kind of birth it's moving towards. There's a sense of place or how we construct an abiding within the, the sense of the future. And uh, actually the mind is often involved in that activity. We might have noticed it during our time of contemplation this week, how much perhaps the mind becomes involved in that activity of creating a sense of location and abiding within the future or within the past but that sort of like movement the feeling of something moving speculating imagining and that's uh, that has its place it's not that we should crush that or try and obliterate that Process. it can be very skillful to reflect on the momentum of the mind. And so, perhaps if there's more clarity in the present, then as we reflect on that momentum, there's a possibility of what we do create into the space of what we call future will unfold in a, in a clearer, in a clearer way, dependent upon the attention that we form in the present for our activity dependent upon that the results follow so it can be skillful to reflect on that uh, potential the possibility of the mind to create to a certain degree not to a total degree but to a certain degree because there's many other factors that come into play in our lives but the tendency of this uh, of the mind to create itself into into the future. So there, this emphasis in the present, clarity and understanding the nature of what motivates us is very connected 
to the sense of where we find ourselves abiding in future time. So this activity of the mind intending towards is the very seeds of this word karma that has been um, brought to us today to reflect upon. And it's a very, in a way, it's a very big word to, uh, in fact, getting to the edge of trying to reflect on karma, I can feel some trepidation <laughs> because it's such a vast word, really. I mean, there's so many kinds of ways that we can understand that. And sometimes we just use that word when we don't really understand quite what's going on. We just say, oh, it's just my karma, or it's his karma, or it's just the karma of the situation. So within that word, we don't always have perhaps a very rational, technical understanding, but we have a feeling for perhaps what it might mean. And I think in talking about it, um, reflecting on it a a bit this evening, rather um, than getting, for me, um, I don't, because it, it does have a lot of very technical definitions, for me, I feel more comfortable rather getting into the technicalities of what exactly is karma, what exactly is self and no self. I think I'd like to reflect just in a more a general feeling for these um, basic philosophies and ideas within Buddhism. But essentially, it's, um, it's defined, karma is literally defined as creation or action and it's connected with body, speech, and mind. And the essence of of this action, or that which is brought into creation, the essence of this is called an aspect of mind, called jetanan vinyana, which is the aspect of intention, or volition, or the motivation. And this is why we've been reflecting on the impulse, the very impulse that that, uh, motivates us in our life. Today, earlier, Kilisaro was reflecting on the sense of refuge, actually making a very conscious intention, using that faculty in a very conscious way, intending the mind, aligning it, if you like, in a, to that which is the, perhaps our deepest aspiration, our deeper intention, so we're not just wafted around by any old feeling or volition or motivation in the mind, but actually deepening our sense of what's really important within this um, lifetime and making it very conscious. So we can, uh, it's really that that momentum of, of volition that is actually at the base of activity. And so that's what we, with this mindfulness, this attention training that we've been doing throughout the week, that's what we can actually begin, we can begin to notice perhaps more clearly what is our motivation, where are we we operating from, what kind of, uh, uh, what is motivating our activity. And technically speaking, what usually we call karma we say it's someone's karma. We really the the word is vipaka, which means the result. Really, the karma is just purely the action, 
the momentum of the volition, and then the vipaka is the result. So usually these are put together, the, the, the cause and effect, or the kama vipaka. It's a term that's put together, the, the resultant effect of the activity of body, speech, and mind, based upon intention. So it's very loosely defined as, as as there being wholesome and unwholesome intention, that we can actually consciously cultivate that. And the more attention there is, the more mindfulness there is within our life, the more choice we have. Because the less reactive we are, the less we just blindly react to any impulse. So this, if you like, this bringing of mindfulness, this pausing, this uh, gathering of attention, this bringing more closer investigation into the nature of this aspect of mind volition gives us more space for, for conscious choice. We're not just in that, in, in that way, we're not just a helpless victim of fate, as we, it sometimes might feel like we're just like a, a helpless victim of any old uh, circumstance or impulse. We can we can feel like that, just blown blown around by circumstance, and without any rudders. Kisara was talking about this morning, without any direction, without any any sense of that which might be guiding our life force. So, in the understanding of what um, propels our activity, this this again, this subtle, this mindfulness is so key to that. And it's actually a very empowering thing to realize, it's a very amazing thing to realize that that there is choice, there can be choice. It doesn't have to just be blind reactivity. We can actually learn to pause, to stop, even in the midst of the most powerful momentum of feeling. That that's actually a choice we can consciously make if we're in a situation, in a relationship, or in our work, or... Uh, someone is uh, attacking us or we're feeling upset and we, we feel on the verge of wanting to say something, do something, which might be uh, very reactive. Maybe that might be the right thing to do, but we can also take the choice to just pause, to really reflect, to look at our options, to gather that energy, to contain, not to suppress it or push it away, but just to contain it. And that's that's taking, that's an empowered position because then then we have the freedom we have the freedom how to respond so it's not then just blind reaction it's a true response we have to respond because we you know as we have this sense really more deeply for the the momentum of karma karma with paka then then we do get quite motivated to be more careful about where we're coming from when we do get a deeper sense for the results that we receive in our life are dependent upon the views that we have, um, the way that we see the world, dependent upon uh, what we're doing. Not, you know, totally. We can't be responsible for every, you know, can't say every result. I mean, it's, it's also a very vast subject, as I said. There's 
family and global karma that we all share, group karma. We can't really predict the results, which might not just be dependent upon us personally. But to a certain degree, we can we can get a sense for some of the results that we, we we receive from what we've done. Sometimes in our meditation, we can have memories that come up. Not you know, I've been reflecting this week uh, at one point. about a few just very sort of little um, letters, emails I sent to people, just responding. Nothing very, um, nothing at all gross or strong, but just, um, I can't even remember the content, but something that when I was, when I was sitting in the silence and the stillness, I just started to feel uneasy. I thought, oh, what's that feeling? What's that feeling of a bit uneasy? And uh, I really I tracked it back to this to actually thinking I sent that. That's the, the trouble with email. You send things off so quickly, <laughs> and then you stop and think, whoa. <laughs> and uh, I can't actually remember what was it about. Um, something I don't know. It was very subtle. It wasn't a very. I mean, the other person probably didn't pick it up, but for me, it sat a bit uneasy. And I thought, no, that wasn't quite what I wanted to say, that wasn't quite, I don't know if that came, how that would be received. And it was actually, I wouldn't perhaps usually notice it in my busy life, but it was only in the stillness, so I was able to sense that sense of dis-ease, discomfort, and just being able to sit with that and receive it and feel, yeah, I'd like to be a bit clearer sometimes where I'm coming from. And this is what sometimes we can feel, a lot of what we feel in our medita- meditation, like in a meditation retreat, where there's a lot of space, is just the results of what we've done, of what's been, what's happened in our life. Not only what we've done, but what's happened from the general conditioning we receive. And it unco- can be uncomfortable. And it's not to judge it, or to, but just uh, allowing ourselves to feel. Because that allowing ourselves, especially if it's a difficult memory or something that we feel that perhaps we did do or say that wasn't quite in harmony with our deeper intention, then actually allowing ourselves to feel the result of that is quite important because it can inform. It's not it's not to turn it into a guilt trip or to to make ourselves um, judging ourselves, but actually just to feel it, it can inform. Um, our future activity. Hmm. Which is why, going back a little bit to what we were talking about last night, why this whole foundation of sila or integrity is so important in the path. Because uh, when we, you know, we have uh, structures, uh, psychological structures, when we You do do act uh, act from a place that's a bit distorted or not clear. Then sometimes we even undermine ourselves. We, we can can have a sense of just uh, not feeling very good about ourselves. So this this sense of developing slow. It's a very slow and in in many ways or very uh, not slow, but it's just a it's just a very mindful process to just sense this um, developing integrity and clarity and being able to be willing to, to sense when we've been off 
and accepting that, allowing it to inform, and accepting it, allowing it to, to pass, not making a big trip out of it, but just allowing it to inform. So this this basis of karma this is in the mind, really, the mind base itself, the, the, that we, we begin to get more familiar with, we begin to sense, we begin to create a relationship which is based on perhaps more reflectiveness, more clarity. So there is this feeling in, in within the Buddha Dharma. There is this feeling for this notion of karma, which is a, a very you know, basic tenet of the whole philosophy, really. Karma vipaka. In one of the very early uh, famous stanzas of the Buddha, he talks about uh, our life is shaped by the mind. Our life is shaped by how we think. It's a very powerful statement. Our life is shaped by the mind, by how we think. And if thoughts, if we act on thoughts, if we speak and act on thoughts that have an unwholesome base, a distorted base, a confused base, a deluded or averse base, then, then dukkha, the sense of pain or suffering follows like the the wheels of a cart that follow uh, the oxen that pull it. It's like that's what it's like. It just sort of drags along behind. <laughs> the shadow of, of the wupaka. And uh, conversely, if we develop a heart and mind, um, with a joyful base, with a, a base of generosity, with a base of kindness, and act and speak in such a mind, with a base of um, friendliness, compassion, wisdom, then joy follows such a life as a shadow that never leaves. And so just within that, that stanza from the Dhammapada, it's a very simple but profound uh, understanding of, of karma. It's the, the, the core principle, if you like. And it's really the intention upon which we act. So some people feel, oh God, if I have bad thoughts, does that mean that I'm kind of making bad karma? Or if I step on an ant, you know, I'm, I'm, and I didn't see it, does that mean that that's... It's really the, the intention, it's what we intend. Because there's going to be, as we've been looking at in the Vipassana in this time, the flow of the mind contains all sorts, you know, from the most highest, the most beautiful, the most refined and altruistic intention and feeling and motivation to the most diverse, jealous, um, irritated, deluded. You know, there's like a whole violent, fearful, we have a whole range of stuff that flows through we're a receptacle of consciousness. We can feel the whole range. But it's really, it's what we pick up, what we intend, what we create upon that, that has this momentum. And inevitably, uh, according to this law, inevitably the results will ripen from that seed. Inevitably there will be a ripening upon which we've, uh, that which we set into motion.
share says why in a lot of, again, going just touching it a little bit on what we were saying yesterday, why there's so much emphasis in the Buddha Dharma just primarily on, on creating a wholesome base of karmic activity. It's not the most subtle transcendent aspect of anatta that we've been which um, I'll touch on, but it's not the sort of the, the I mean the Buddha did talk about the freedom from karmic activity. It's perhaps the most subtlest aspect of the Dharma, the transcendence of both wholesome and wholesome karma. Or the identification, if you like, it's not really the transcending or stopping you know, karma is there, but it's the identification as the most subtlest um, aspect of understanding. But nevertheless, there is a, a huge emphasis on the importance on developing a positive base upon which we work in our life, in our mind, an inner environment, if you like, a, a sense of well-being. And we have the power to do that. I and mean, it's not, sometimes it's not an instantly magical transformation. Sometimes it might be, but generally speaking, it's, it's an ongoing process of transforming, letting go and allowing that which has been already been created, which is painful, which is suffering, allowing that to burn, to be purified, to be let go of, to not be recreated, re- giving more momentum to it. And that's, that's the work of the, the enormous patience, just allowing ourselves sometimes to be with the difficult, but not in a blind, it's like mixing it with awareness, mixing it with attention, so it's not just a, a blind way or a reactive way, but it's a very conscious way that we allow the unwholesome to fade. And the cultivation, the generation of, of the positive karmic tendencies and the Buddha made a very interesting analogy. He said it's like someone that has a, a large base, positive karma. He made this um, analogy. It's there's two people that do a similar negative act. If, a per- if one person doesn't have a very large sort of reposity, if you like, or a very um, large base of wholesome karma, if they, if they haven't developed that, much in their in their in their mind in their heart, um, and they they do a similar sort of act. He said it's a bit like a salt crystal going into a glass of water. There's not much to dissolve it, and instantly they they are taken into a, a contracted, hellish state of mind. They haven't got much capacity to dissolve that that action. But if a person that has a, a wide base of wholesome karma and does a similar act, might be a similar act, a negative thing, so it's like a salt, that same salt crystal going into the Ganges. Still an effect, there's still a sort of a flavoring of the mind, but there's more capacity to dissolve uh, the results of that um, negative act of speech or mind. There's more capacity uh, to hold it, to contain it, to dissolve it. It has less impact. It doesn't, it's not totally overwhelming. So there is this sense, as there's, there's, there's a, a kind of a development of the 
wholesome calm in, a, in one's life, and it actually allows some of the more difficult states in and of itself to begin to dissolve, to not have quite so much impact. We might, we might feel, you know, like perhaps I might be sitting here and I might feel some old tendency of the mind, tendency towards worry or fear, uh, a desiring kind of state or a um, contracted, dull kind of state. Maybe before I did a lot of practice 20 years ago, I might have just been totally blown away by that. No capacity to hold it, no capacity to... totally immersed in it, totally contracted. And one can see, even in, in what's probably quite a short span of time of practice, really, um, one can see that, the, that I can feel that as a result, that I have the same kind of feeling might arise, but I have the possibility, not always, I'm not perfected by any means, but there is the possibility to, to not be so blown away, to hold it, to contain that, to reflect on it, to transform it. You might not have so much lasting power, more ability to stir that basic sense of well-being, to connect with the source of a, of a, a deeper source within my being. So there's, there's just in that way, one can get a sense for what the simile that the, the Buddha was making. The more subtle and perhaps the more difficult um, aspect to talk about is this aspect of, uh, you know, even looking at anatta, the, the, the sense of ultimately seeing that everything that seems to inherently have this sense of self about it, the feelings, the body, the mind processes, if ultimately there is this um, dimension which is lacking an inherent solidity, where we can't ultimately locate ourselves in any form, or any perception, any feeling, any memory. It's just a constant changing flow. Then what, you know, who is it, really, that is the receptacle of this karmic force? Who is it that dies, and what is it that gets reborn? And... Uh, <clears throat> I think the, the easiest way to look at this, and the way that, that, that often is, this is talked about, is um, within Buddhism they talk about the two levels of reality, which is uh, the conventional and the ultimate level. Which is uh, the con- you know like conventionally, conventionally there is a plane of reality, which we mostly mostly is our, where our major sense of identity is. It's mostly what you know mostly what we feel is is the only reality perhaps it's the reality of, of uh, form of name of perception of feeling of content it's the reality of saying looking at uh, say this this shrine behind us the table the candles the Buddha statue and having names and perceptions about that saying that's a table this is Tanisara this is Gaia House, this is uh, Thursday evening of the retreat of August. Uh, and you are whoever you are. Who are you? <laughs> <laughs> and I am whoever I am in this moment. 
We say that you're conventional, someone comes up to me and says, what's your name? Then I would say, well, probably Tanissa. I wouldn't necessarily say I'm, I'm just a passing uh, perception within your consciousness. <laughs> I think, you know, conventionally, we have these conventions that we operate and if, you know, that, we, that we live within. And this is what they call a conventional reality. So different, you know, English, German, French, Indian, African, different perceptions within the mind, and within that perception is a, a lot conjured up, has a certain power to it, a certain reality, certain, a certain reality. But then, in, in uh, what we've been looking into, is, is is this the only plane of reality? Is there anything? What happens if you know, in the death, so in the death process, what happens uh, if we, when the body dies, what happens uh, if we um, change our name, for example? What happens if we change our location? What happens if we uh, look under a microscope into the nature of that table, that seeming solid sense of matter, of form. What happens if through Vipassana we start to look more closely into uh, the seeming solidity of who we think we are, the seeming permanence. And this is what becomes revealed, what this Kisar's been talking very eloquently about, I don't know if I can actually talk so eloquently about that, that this other dimension, the uh, called the Asankata Dharma, the timeless or the, the ultimate, that which is, which is uh, within or underlying all you know, the conventional plane, sometimes likened to the spacious or that, or likened to the space within which everything arises and passes, or sometimes talked about as innate awareness, that which is that, that aspect of being which just is, within which all arises and passes. So, this, this is just different ways of talking, which point to that which transcends the, the conventional plane. So, in that more ultimate plane, there is you know, one. There isn't a location so much of this independent, separate, individual. A sense of, of self. The sense of self is more dependent upon the moments of, of identification, the, the flow of consciousness. So this is why they say sometimes when mind doesn't know its own nature, through ignorance there is this tendency for it to move into the separate sense of self, dependent upon the thoughts, the feelings, the perceptions, and then within that creating a sense of self that needs to be perpetuated and maintained. So in this way it's sometimes said it's it's not really there is ultimately anyone 
perpetuating or receiving the karma on that level. There's just the flow of karmic activity. There's just the flow of all... As uh, one of the Buddhist in the Buddhist scriptures, it says that uh, ultimately there's no one that does any deed. There's no one that receives any fruit. There is just the flow of sankara, the flow of of uh, karmic or or activity or consciousness, the flow of thought, feeling, perception. But there is this ancient tendency through not knowing this flow, as in Nietzsche, Dukkha, and Natal, which we've been looking at. There is this ancient tendency for the mind, not knowing its own fundamental nature, to identify, to find a location, to form this sense of self. And it's upon that level where there is a feeling of of self that receives that creates and receives the karmic flow of activity. What I'd like to um, finish with tonight, actually connected with this subject and um, reflecting from the Tibetan tradition, which I feel has perhaps has a very um, quite a profound way of looking at this whole process of of the death and rebirth process, which we can look in. Usually, in our in our particular tradition, we tended to look at it in terms of moment to moment experience process of beginning and endings, that which is, we feel that sense of me being born into and me dying, uh, being, um, we've been looking at that more perhaps in the moment to moment, the more direct sense of, of me as it, uh, as it focuses around particular perceptions or feelings. But I find that um, in the Tibetan tradition they talk quite eloquently about um, the death process itself and, uh, and the moments in the death process. And this, uh, in this text, the Bardo Thodo, which means liberation through hearing, the sense of actually guiding through that process. And I think that might be useful. As I said earlier, you know, to, for me to be able to try and talk really technically about these areas, I find um, I don't feel capable of that, but to try and just get a sense of the feeling for this process of karma, upaka, uh, and rebirth. I feel that this perhaps does give that sense of the feeling. So it's a meditation, so I'd like to, it's a very short meditation, guided meditation through this um, process. And I'd like to finish this evening with that. Um, and that it's connected in, in the way they talk about it, in the, is the is this um, in this, these teachings on the bardo, which I find very, very um, relevant, really. The bardo really just means that the suspended in between, suspended in between one state and another. And in, in their consideration, until there's a real knowing, until the mind really knowing its own nature, being able to really rest and understanding realizing its own nature, there's a constant process of this activity of bardo being suspended from one 
identity or birth to another. Now, when they talk about these bhādhas, they talk about them in, in six different aspects. The bhādha of life, what we call life, our daily life, which is really the, the flow of, of karmic activity, positive and negative, a sense of self in life, with consciousness, with intention, the bardo of dream, which is just the mental activity, there's not much karmic activity as such, there's not much intense conscious volition, the dream state. The bardos of meditation, we're talking of being suspended in a way in another kind of sphere, the meditative absorptions and um, understanding of subtler levels of consciousness. And the um, the death process they talk about, the actual dissolving of the elements, the death process itself, and going into the bardo between from death into into rebirth. And it's actually this point of of the, the death, the dissolving of the elements, the death process, um, and being. Um, Reflecting on that into, into the momentum of what draws us into this sense of rebirth or what draws us into this sense of the self locate, being located in time and space. So that's what this, this meditation reflects on. So, I feel I'd like to, yeah, go through this. It's a very short, about 10 minutes, as a meditation. Um, Just getting this sense for this, in a way it plays a little bit with these two levels. Uh, This is sort of the the ongoing sense of the self-dissolving and then touching into this uh, deeper reality, if you like. This uh, more universal consciousness, the sense of the separateness dissolved. Was touching on yesterday that it's not like dissolving into a into a deadness, but actually opening into a more universal consciousness, a consciousness of the, of the Buddha, or a consciousness of a Christ, or a realized consciousness. And so then. A, karmic activity isn't an individual self, but it's the flow of dharma that manifests through that, in that, within that level of consciousness. Consciousness of the karma for the, the activity of wisdom and compassion. So this meditation in a way touches on that, as it's felt as within the death process itself, that, uh, that there's the potential to really open into that uh, there is in, in life, but it's considered because of the death, it's, it's so powerful in terms of letting go. It's at that point, the physical death, that really there's no bargaining with it. This is in a way, this is very consciously considered in um, Buddhist meditation. We actually bring it into the mandala of our life. We don't just push the whole subject of death out. We really bring it right into the heart of our contemplation, we allow it to be there, not to be morbid or fearful, but to actually, in a way, it just heightens, if you like, it can heighten our appreciation 
of the moment when we when we really get in touch with that sense of the the ephemeral and the impermanent nature. It's not it doesn't have to be a depressive depressing, it can actually really heighten our appreciation of the beauty of this moment. It will never come again like this. Ever. This is unique. I mean that's isn't that extraordinary. I mean if if we if we don't have death in that in, in in a way, although it's not comfortable, it's not meant to be comfortable, if we don't allow it into the mandala of our heart, of our being, then actually we can just go through life in a rather ironically in a rather deadened way. You know, not really appreciating the full amazing potential of the, that the moments of our life can offer us. We're so sort of habitually orientated. So really, uh, it's considered that bringing this in and reflecting and preparing, consciously preparing for that moment of letting go, which we've been doing in little ways. And the moment of death comes, there's no, there's no choice. We have to totally let go of everything we've known ourselves to be. Let go of this vehicle, the body, let go of our possessions, our loved ones. We might not even have time to prepare for that, we might, but possibly we won't. So we, we, it's, just, it's a reflection we just bring near to us. It heightens our awareness. 